Welcome to the Particle Podcast, where we talk about science and the people who just love it. I'm Rose, and as a kid, robots really scared me. Sounds like a weird segue, but it's actually very on theme because today I'm joined by engineer and PhD student Jordan Vice. Jordan is not a robot, but he does work with them. We had a chat about artificial intelligence and the rise of robotics. Oh, and if you hear any background noises in today's episode, that is Particle content creator Zaya in the background, and she pops in a little bit later when I ask some questions she wanted to ask. Welcome, Jordan. Welcome to me. Thank you for having me. This <laughs> great. is my first time being on a podcast. I've always wanted to be on one. Exciting. Yeah, exciting this stuff. Is so great. This is like Joe Rogan, but with less muscly bald dudes. Yeah. Disappointing. Yeah. We need to bring in some muscly <laughs> bald dudes. So to start off with, we always start with this question. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you to explain, what do you actually do? So I am a recently graduated mechatronics engineer. I am a PhD student now. And yeah, I was a student at Curtin for four years, worked in industry the whole of last year um, in the mining industry and was, wasn't my cup of tea at the time. So I just decided to go and do more research because research is super, super fun. So, yeah. And what do you, what's your speciality in research? Um, so I'm doing my research on machine learning and uh, emotional AI specifically. So that's pretty much just using like computers to try and analyze the thing that drives human beings, which is like emotions. Yeah. That's wild to combine something so inherently human, like emotions. Yeah. To a computer. Yeah. Right. It's weird. It's like Westworld. Yeah. (laughs) What was the inspiration behind the research? Um, I don't know. I guess like, well, my whole thing was I just wanted to see like if it was possible and then obviously by doing the research I wasn't the only one that thought if it was like is this possible um and my initial idea was to design a like audio visual like bl- like vlogging tool kind of thing like to bring it into the 21st century and what that would have done is to like be a tool for therapists and stuff like that like instead of telling people to go and like journal your thoughts blah 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 and then come back in the next session this would be like an audio visual tool and then they just speak into it and then the therapist would get a report and then they'd be able to make a just like just yeah. they'd know the emotions <laughs> from that that's unreal yeah. so they could tell like the ai would potentially be able to tell from your tone and the way that you speak if you're pretending to be happy but you're really sad yeah uh yeah it's like one of the things is actually sarcasm is super difficult mm. because obviously sarcasm in itself is a contradiction so um, it's more like, so it was facial expression recognition um, and then speech is split into the two parts. So that's like how you speak and what you're actually saying. So then what the system does is like it classifies or uses machine learning, sorry, to determine the emotion in each one of those and then what the like holistic emotion is from that. Gosh, that's yeah. complicated. Yeah, it took a year, so it was great. But you know what? I would do it all over again, which is why I'm doing my PhD. <laughs> that's good. That's good fuel to yeah. get you into your PhD. Before we go into that side of things, mm-hmm. I want to go way back. Yeah. Did you like science as a kid? Is that something Loved you always wanted it. to do? Loved it. Um, I always... <laughs> this is something I wrote down when I was like preparing was I always said that I wanted to either play Iron Man or become Iron Man in real life. <laughs> and yeah, like I just, I've always loved science and I've always liked, like Spider-Man was actually my favorite superhero growing up and he's that nerdy kid and like he made 
being like a nerd cool yeah pretty much and like you just now because you know you get the movies in like this like the 80s and stuff it's like oh beat it nerd and like all that sort of stuff like no one really thinks about that anymore because like people have embraced like being a nerd because there's nothing actually wrong with it and i'm just glad that i grew up in like an age where like being smart wasn't something they like got looked down on. Oh, agreed. Yeah, I would not have been cool in the nineties. Oh, Very gosh, grateful seriously. for things like I remember Glee making like being a bit different, kind of yeah. cool, and I was so grateful for it. <laughs> Do you remember what kind of science you loved when you were a kid? Physics, maths, yeah. and what? physics. What? Maths, physics. But yeah, they're like the best, the exactly. hardest, <laughs> and most complicated, and most I'd argue dry subjects of science i don't know hey like when you start thinking about like astrophysics obviously like that was my third choice on um like when i decided what i'm going to do at uni it was mechatronics nanotechnology and then uh, like physics and then i would have done done astrophysics but like it's so cool like it just puts i don't know i just feel like it puts everything into perspective because you think about the things like oh like an atom is like a quark or like subatomic particles, sorry, are like the smallest things. And then you go wide and it's like, oh, human beings are so small. It kind of makes you feel a bit insignificant. But like, it's just, it's, I don't know. I see it as a sense of like wonder. Like we're so small. And like, I'd love to like just go into space. Like, and just, yeah. Would you go to space if it was like... (laughs) 100%. (laughs) <laughs> You're mad. Isn't that all terrifying? I don't know. Like, yeah, there's those movies like Gravity and stuff like that. It, is, it does terrify you. But I mean more like I would go to the moon or I'd, if they were like, oh, yeah, colonizers on Mars, we need the first colony. My hand would like be up like straight away. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just find it. It's just so cool. It's just so different. Like sometimes we like just forget like how much is actually out there. And unfortunately, especially in like our lifetime we won't see any of it like we it will be like thousands like hundreds of thousands of years before like everything or a small insignificant like part of it actually gets seen so it's it's disappointing i wish there was some way you could see it all it's like the good thing that we were born in the 2000s or like born you know and raised in the 2000s but then the bad thing is like all this other cool stuff we're gonna miss out on Yeah. yeah I want to ask if you always dreamt of being a scientist. This is a strange question, but do you remember the first robot you would have ever gotten? Now that you work with AI, oh, do you remember? My mum actually has this photo of me, and I wish I had it. Like, I wish I had a copy of it, but it's a photo of me, and it's like one of the things I built um, when I had like Mega Blocks. Oh. And I built a Mega Blocks robot. That's so cute. Yeah, I built like a little Mega Blocks robot, and then, yeah, like now look at me. That's so great. So it's literally like since four or five years old, you know, I've just, like I said, I've always like wanted to follow like science and I'm glad I got the opportunity to do so. I find it crazy that I know the first robot I can remember, I didn't have it, but my cousin had it, was one of those robot pets, the parrots mm-hmm. that would speak to you back and it terrified me. It scared <laughs> me so much. So the idea that kids now get toys that have a level of, artificial intelligence to it is wild the toys now are so much cooler than the toys like we had growing up but it's just you know more kids are going towards ipads which is so less exciting yeah it's so much like less exciting so like less exciting you know um i just find like using the toys and like imagination and stuff like that it's so cool but that's obviously a topic for another day (laughs) another another (laughs) time
I'm going to jump in before we get too far into the conversation, but artificial intelligence or AI in very, very simple terms is a computer system that gets fed big chunks of information, which it then turns into data to make predictions. It's important to say it makes predictions, not decisions, because it's humans that make decisions based on predictions. AI can only make predictions. How do you even program artificial intelligence on a really basic level on a really basic level so human beings right we interpret information that we see all around us and our brains are just like super powerful at taking that information and turning it into data which we then process to do actions so if you want to make an intelligent system you want to make it so that it does a similar thing but obviously not to the degree that we do as human beings so if you take an image, for example, an image has got information in it, that information gets processed into data, and then once you have a evidence base, which is um, what they call like data sets, so that's how they can make the comparison between like a new input image and be like, oh, wait, I've seen something similar to that. So I'm gonna think, like in my case, that person looks happy, you know what I mean? So it's all about giving the computer enough examples and enough information to be able to recognize it again yeah so it's just the case of having like ev uh, evidence to back it up so if you had a system that can be saying like oh this is a cat or this is a dog um, you need to give it a bunch of photos of cats a bunch of photos of dogs and then if you give it an image of a snake it's obviously it's gonna say it's a cat or a dog but it's mm. obviously not a cat or a dog it has no idea what it is it's just like this looks two percent like a cat so, so therefore you know cat. I mean? yeah so um it just has to have like data and evidence and i hate like using data it's <laughs> a big thing is this like everyone talks about like oh there's so much data in the world kind of thing and i don't know i just feel like it's overused but it's so like true like you need data to be able to make decisions what was the first programming you've done for artificial intelligence was your project the first time you'd Done pro what the yeah wow <laughs> that seems like a very complex it was a pretty steep learning curve yeah. yeah how does that even happen well the good thing about um engineering at curtain this is not a plug but um is that like you do get taught programming from like first year all the way throughout like your degree so by the time i got into fourth year i knew how to program and like i knew how to code and you just get this um it like trains your logical thinking like being able to like code as well so it's like you have your problem, you read, you do your research about how like other people have done it, and then you apply it in your own way. And so, yeah, that's just how I did it. Had your research been done much before? Um, so there has been like research of people trying to like find, like do emotional like classification. So that's been done in the past before, yeah. Because it really seems like the ultimate challenge, right? Yeah. To read a human with a robot. Yeah, because it's like this whole thing about improving that hum the human-machine interaction like because right now it's just like a you know it's like one way really but the whole reason i wanted to do it is like let's see like where we can go with this like but at the end of the day it kind of becomes a pandora's box because like we have no idea if like we keep going with this how like advanced people might might make it but then again it's the whole that's in like years and we might not be able to see it or I hope I can make us see it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get moving faster yeah. <laughs> just so you can see it. That's funny you bring that up because that's some of the questions I was talking to the rest of the Particle team about before mm -hmm. I did the interview was we wanted to ask you, could you be friends with AI? Yes, I am not a believer <laughs> in the Terminator theory at all. Like, um, 
at the end of the day, if we have a kill switch, it's not... It's like robots can get turned off. Like, robots need power. Like, unless we make a sentient robot that knows how to rip its power cord out, we can shut it down and, like, you can destroy servers. Like, it's not... Artificial intelligence will not create the end of the world. (laughs) I know there's, like... All the news programs, it's like, in a world where AI is in your homes (laughs) and taking photos of you on the street, you know? I I swear I saw something on, like, a current affair or something about that. Yeah. And it's just, like, fear-mongering. And it's just, it's preying on the people that just, like, believe what they see kind of thing. So, I don't know. It comes to, like, education. But at the end, I will say, regulation as Mm. well. So, the governments and, like, the people in power, we do actually need to put rules and regulations in place to actually stop stuff like that happening but right now the like the technology is like so like infantile that we don't really need to think about it at the moment and i can see like decades before like we really have to start thinking about it it always makes me think of the episode of the simpsons where marge has the ai in her house and it starts talking to her and she falls in love with it (laughs) i think it might be a take on her actually when she falls in love with the ai Mm -hmm. do you think that's going to be possible yeah because human beings are weird yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're so weird like uh, you can't control love like love is so powerful if someone wants to fall in love with their computer yeah. Let them. I wonder if one day we'll have AI weddings. That would be cool. That'd be pretty exciting. Yeah, I'd love to be at one. Going back to the ethics, yeah. what do you think are some important regulations that we're going to need to have as people are developing AI and maybe as it becomes more accessible for the everyday programmer to be able to do? Um, security. Uh, so then goes back to the whole like data thing. So like, prior, like security on personal data and making sure that people don't um like infringe on other people's like rights and stuff like that but then again there is no like at the moment we don't really have any data protection like regulations which is why companies that make an app and it'd be like you'd sign your terms and conditions and you sign your life away Mm. and but people don't understand like people don't really like think about that and then they get worried it's like oh i was just talking about dominoes and now i'm getting ads for dominoes and it's like yeah because you signed your life away and i bet when i look at my phone later i'm gonna get an ad for dominoes (laughs) just for saying it four times in the last minute but like you know what i mean it's just um we need to think about data security and like privacy and we need to also think about it comes to the thing about like ai taking like jobs away which i believe or this is might be a very biased point of view that it's there to aid like it's there to aid people in their jobs and it allows people to explore other avenues but obviously that's not always the case because you get like the you get the simple like simpler tasks that can be done like the rudimentary like i'll put something here from here something here from here that a robot can do that obviously those jobs will eventually get like eliminated Eliminated sounds so, <laughs> so bad. Um, Destroyed. They will, get, they will get turned into something else. Um, so we just have to like think about stuff like universal basic income, which is not a socialist like socialist con kind of thing. But like, yeah, we do have to start thinking about stuff like that. Supporting because, people through the change. Yeah, exactly. Because like people are gonna eventually have so much technology that they won't need to do certain stuff and like leave their house. We can sit on our couch and get food yeah. right now the moment will come where uber will be like okay i don't i want to have self-driving cars i want to have drones just delivering food Domino's will be like i want to deliver pizzas with a drone 
So uh, they should. That's amazing. Yes. <laughs> uh, when I was in America, actually, there was a company um, at uh, the conference that I was at that said that they were trialing in different states in America of like using self-driving cars to deliver oh. pizzas, which is there you go. That's the first step. Like the future. It's the future is now. You're doing your PhD now. Yeah. What's PhD life like? Lonely. Oh, <laughs> is this going to turn to a therapy session? <laughs> I'll just get my robot to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, nah. Um, PhD life is it's it's cool. Like I said, I love research, and I would like implore anyone that like if you love doing what you do, like continue doing it. And I got a huge kick out of doing research last year. And even when I was working like in industry, I was a part of like a research and development team. And that stuff is just super cool. Like R and D is so cool. And the fact that I can like not have a nine to five and still do like R and D is that's pretty sick. Like I'm I'm pretty happy with it. In R and D and industry, mm-hmm. what do those environments look like? Is it, I kind of picture it like a bunch of people sitting in a room yelling cool ideas at each other. Yeah, but with more logistics. <laughs> like um, money is a, obviously like a big thing, like in industry. So you have to consider like our costs, um, feasibility. And it's just, I'd say it's a little bit more slower than if you were doing it at home because, like, you have to, yeah, there's much more stuff that you need to think about than, like, if you're at home, you can just be like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, give it a go. Give it a go. If it doesn't work, I, I'll just try again. Like, you know what I mean? But, like, in industry, there's people waiting on a product. So if you can't deliver the product in time, then, like, you know what I mean? So it's much more stressful as well. And you're working within someone else's box of what they need. Yeah. And there's a lot more people putting their ideas into the box as well. So, like, if with me doing my PhD, it's mine. And with, like, information from my supervisor coming in as well. So, like, yeah, if I want to do something, I'll just do it. What's your current PhD project? Um, so, it's just furthering the stuff that I was doing last year. Great. So, it's creating a more sophisticated emotional AI system and going towards, like, communication as well. So, right now, all it does is listens and understands and sees but it doesn't communicate i played around with it last year and i had a thing called friday haha because <laughs> that's like iron man's um ai yeah. <laughs> called, it, called it friday that went then. way over my head but now i'm back uh, in cool uh, <laughs> and i was like i would say like oh hey like hey friday i'd be like hey jordan super weird when you oh, think about it hey so cool. yeah, but it, yeah and then but that's like uh it's the no it wasn't too like hard to do but then it's like oh it would understand the emotion and be like oh i am 72 percent sure you feel happy right now which is pretty cool you're like wow i'm not that sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you sure because you've been stressing me out all night oh <laughs> at least how could you be lonely when you've got an ai with you yeah what is a day in the life like for you when you're doing research um so it starts on sunday so sunday will be like what am i researching oh well it started today for me actually so what's the next week look like for me and then what's the next two weeks and I tr- I'm trying to take it two weeks at a time at the moment just because I don't want to start like overwhelming myself and it's just I'm doing like the literature side of things now so it's just like actually understanding what's out there and so day in the life of Jordan is going to curtain going to a desk <laughs> doing research leaving going home coming back doing research and like tutoring as well which is really fun like i do really love the tutoring side of things so that's like a few days a week and yeah meetings tutoring 
research. Meetings, tutoring, research. I'm glad that you've got tutoring to break it up. Yeah. How often a week do you tutor? Uh, so three classes, about eight hours. Yeah. Is it challenging? Yeah, because it's so it's challenging because I'm tutoring a unit that I just did last year. Oh wow! Yeah, so like, I'm tutoring third and fourth. Hopefully, you did units. well in it. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did well enough, I guess. Um, so I'm tutoring third and fourth year units, and it's weird because these people that I'm tutoring, it's not like I'm like teaching kids. I'm teaching people that are probably the same age as me, older than me, or like a couple of years younger than me. So that dynamic is weird because you kind of want to tell them what to do. But at the same time, it's like, can I tell you what to do? You know what I mean? You got to yeah. set your authority. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been trying. To, it's a huge like learning curve because I've never tutored before. Like I've done like kind of like mentoring stuff in the past, but I've never actually tutored. And like I'm trying to I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to get that under my belt because it's I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. It's funny you bring up that you're, the people you're tutoring are around your own age. Yeah. You're quite young to be doing a PhD. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> is it a field, because it's quite a new field, is it quite youth-oriented? Uh, so what my only real like experience with that is when I went to uh, America, I found that there were like a lot of PhD students there, and then there was a lot of like mid-30s, mm-hmm. like 40s. So I think it is like pretty youth oriented like young adult to don't know what 30 to 40 yeah. is that Mi- demographic yeah. demographic we're not gonna isolate anyone yeah. by giving that a term <laughs> but yeah so it is because it's so such a like a budding thing so like it's expected that young people be like oh cool ai and even when i was talking in tutoring today people were like oh what are you doing your phd and i'm like oh much AI. that's like whoa that's cool and i'm like it is cool yeah <laughs> that must feel good to be around people who are like what you do is cool because I think that sometimes if you're outside of science like I work in both a space in a science space but also in a bit of an art space Mm -hmm. and I get mixed reactions some people are like wow that's amazing like science is cool some people you talk to just aren't interested which just leads me to my next question which is why should people care why should people care because at the end of the day, technology is vastly improving and it will continue to improve. So if you don't care, you'll be left behind. Sorry to burst anyone's bubble listening to this. I heard you have a youth audience, so they're we do. like, cool, <laughs> on with technology. But to all the old people listening to this, get on with it yeah. or you'll be left behind. There's not a lot you Sorry. can do about it. Yeah, it's like, that's the thing. And especially like emotionally, like, or AI in general, sorry, like we were saying, like it's going to come and it's going to help you with your jobs and it's going to also replace jobs in a safe manner where companies will accommodate you. Do you think AI is going to be able to have creativity? So that is a big stumbling block because obviously, like I was saying, we program like machines to on what to learn and like what to do. So how are we supposed to teach a machine to create something completely new? But you have like the Google stuff that like take, but that again takes images from everything else to make something different. It doesn't, it's there's like pure, pure creativity is so difficult to like replicate. So I was watching, I was actually watching a YouTube video um, and it was a robot that just drew a sketch of a person. But that again is not creativity, it's just, it took a photo, drew the lines around the photo, and then drew the lines on a piece of paper. Yes. You know what I mean? So like, It's copying. It's copying. It's not, I don't know. I, I, I can't at the moment see how you recreate 
creativity because like human beings we it's just it's like natural to us and art's based off human experience how yeah. can you teach an ai human experience is it just going to be like zeros and ones it's super that would be so difficult i can't see it happening in our lifetime but maybe i'm wrong we'll find out yeah You've mentioned a few times you went to America, and yep. as a good journalist, I did read that you went to an international conference on cognitive machine intelligence. Yeah. What was that all about? Uh, it was super fun. So I uh, tried to publish a paper for my final year thesis, and I did publish that paper. And <laughs> thank you. Uh, so I went to America to go present it, and that was low-key stressful because... Um, I've always, I've only ever presented either in a lecture hall or like school assemblies. I've never gone to the other side of the world to talk about my life or talk about what I do. So on the plane, I was writing PowerPoints and like, yeah, you've got plenty of time with a 14 hour flight. It's more than enough time to prepare. But you know what? Like, I just, it, it happened. I did it. It was super, it was super fun. Like, uh, I at least, not to toot my own horn, I thought I was better than some of the other presenters <laughs> that were up there. But, you know, I'm repping Perth at the same time. Which is great. Yeah. Um, but it was cool because, like, it was people from all around the world that were just talking about cognitive machine intelligence. And I met this guy from Amsterdam, I think, or, well, the Netherlands. And he, I told him, he made cleaning toilets sound sexy. What? Yeah, because he created, like, machine, um, like, machine learning, like, cognitive machine intelligence, whatever you, like, want to say, for the, like, maintenance and, like, cleaning up of toilets in an airport. Oh. And uh, he, the way he spoke as well. Exactly. The way he spoke as well, I was like, man. You know what you're on about. You go clean those toilets. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I love the way that he's, I mean, a problem that most of us have been in an airport. You know that's a problem. Yeah. But I would have never tried the thought of trying to solve that problem. With, like, machine learning? No. Yeah, because it's the whole, because the whole idea is, like, using data <laughs> to we make things data. more efficient, <laughs> buzzwords. <laughs> but, like, um, yeah, that's what he did. He had, you know, it's, like, smiley face, angry face. Um, neutral face and it's like people as they're walking out press the thing and then it would send the data and then they'll be like okay cool so every like around this time that's when the toilets are most dirty that's why we should clean it then and then move around you know so like I said made it real real cool I mean that's great (laughs) that's impressive yeah but um, it was also fun to just listen to people much much smarter than I am (laughs) like there were a couple of really cool panels as well where we talked about like AI coming and like like destroy the human race kind of thing and it was like some much smarter people talking about it than me that I was like super interested I was like so nailed on Um, how did you even end up like going did you apply did you get selected how did it work uh so the research paper was double double blind peer well peer reviewed which is a it's just a way of saying it was just like judges read it and they're like okay this is good enough come and one of the authors has to present your work and it was so me, the lead author, and then uh, my professor and a professor from Canada that was just working in with us. And yeah, I just I didn't want anyone to go and present my work, so I said I'm going. Great. Like, no matter like no matter what, I'm on that plane. I'm going to LA to present my work. So I did it. Yeah, and that was it. Were you nervous? Super. Yeah. Super nervous. Uh, especially because I didn't like really practice until uh, what? I'd say. 
because I just modeled it on my final year presentation and then I was just like, all right, cool, okay. change a bit of words and then go in and do it. And yeah, I'm just, just oozed natural confidence. Well, people, <laughs> there's nothing like under preparing to make you sound confident. Were people interested? Did people find it cool? I, I thought so, at least. You know, got got claps at the end, got a few questions. So I, I, at least I, I felt like people were interested in it. Um, yeah. Question time can be pretty scary when I've yeah. presented research before. What do you do if you receive a question that just throws you? I'll be like, um, I don't um. I <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. I don't um. I... I'm umming now. Yeah. you've got a question. Yeah, just threw I've done me it. Off. I've done it. This is real-time <laughs> example. Me off. Um, well, like, if I don't know it and I haven't, like, talked about it, I'll just say I'm just going to have to do more research on it. It's and that was that was uh, what a lot of people did in their final year, like, thesis presentations. They were like, that was out of the scope of work. Maybe. I had a year. Pretty much. <laughs> and But I think I answered all the questions that I got asked pretty well. Yeah. Was it fun being around other scientists? Oh, so cool. You, like I love having intellectual conversations and like just you know not even just about like machine learning but just about like life in general and just talking about yeah just the big picture and it's just yeah super fun and being around those people that had the similar interests to me and that knew so much more than me as well and it's like I, I learned a lot from that trip We're actually back from a short break, not that you'd know that with the magic of podcasts, but we've just had a bit of a chat about some questions and Zaya from the Particle team has had a couple we're going to throw at Jordan. So first of all, how do you think we can deal with bias in artificial intelligence? That is unfortunate (laughs) because like human beings, we're naturally biased. Um, We just have to like think about designing a system that has equal amounts of data in each thing so if you had 70 photos of someone that's happy and 30 photos of someone that's sad more likely if it looks at a face it'll be like even if it's like a small smile it'll be like okay cool that person's happy yeah it's super easy to program bias into into anything really like for example like you could have a whole lot of ethnic people in a group um, and then just be like, okay, um, if ethnic person, extreme criminal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's so, a like, genuine it's problem. It's so like, easy to program that sort of stuff. It just has to go down to regulations again. We have to have like systems in place that actually like control like how we use like, artificial intelligence and stuff like that and to try and like prevent bias but bias is a problem in AI and it's something that I've like talked about in my thesis as well in that like if you have uh, like oversaturated like one piece of data compared to everything else you're more than likely gonna have like misclassifications in that data set than in anything else you know what I mean yeah yeah definitely thinking about you know, I don't know, there's some things about AI like bias and especially when it comes down to things like racial bias that make it sound kind of bad sometimes. What are some good applications of AI? Um, How could it make life better? Trying to find medical conditions early. Oh, how can it do that? Um, So if you have a whole lot of data of people with their like blood samples and stuff like that, sure, yeah, obviously doctors know how to do it as well. But like if you have data and you have someone that's coming in, it'd be like, oh, this person might in the future have this kind of like condition kind of Mm. thing. Um, That is a very wide idea. 
Yeah, it's it makes like, sense. Yeah, and given that you know, some in some areas, particularly in say remote Australia, mm-hmm. we have a shortage of medical staff, yeah. and so it could overcome some of those issues. Exactly, like you can just have the like in the remote areas send like uh, send the data to the, the system that's mm. in the cloud somewhere, and the system will just be like, oh, maybe you need to send that person to a specialist. And then that person will go to the specialist. Like, and that could be a person. Exactly. So, like I was saying before, it's like there to supplement people. It's not always there to just like take people's jobs away. Do you so, think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about AI? Hundred percent. Like, hundred. Like, it's this whole fear of technology kind of thing. Like, I imagine when someone created the wheel, like the one caveman created the wheel or whatever, they would have been like, no, 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 <laughs> no wheel, no, no. wheel, no, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> and yeah, so like. People were scared with AI going into factories and stuff like that. But the efficiency speaks for itself. Like, we have so much... Oh, well, this is like consumerism anyway. But we have so much more goods because factories are autonomous and stuff like that, you know? Which is, however you want to look at it, a good thing or a bad thing. The people that were in the factories might have gotten retrained to know how to maintain the robots that are doing the jobs that they were doing, but not at a fast rate. So... The job's changing. The job's changing. Like, um, we there are obviously certain jobs that we just don't have anymore. And there's certain jobs that have come up. Like, we have people that go and fix Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like, go and fix the internet. That is a new job in, like, the twenty first early 21st century that we just didn't have. So this it is a misconception that, like, it takes away jobs because technology will always create more jobs as well. It kind so, of works both ways. Yeah, it does. So you have to like lose some to gain some. What's something that you wish people just knew about your industry? Something that if they knew it, it would just either make your life just a little bit easier or it would help them understand a little bit better? I think if you just understand that it's getting programmed by a human being and not and know that it's not sentient in any way, then you should... Like, just understand that there is going to be someone behind it that has, like, been the architect. So if you can, if you're so scared, you just go look at who the architect is and question them instead of questioning the robot because the robot was designed to do something. You're not, it's the whole, like, blaming, like, blaming the hammer because a builder hit you on the finger. Yeah. You don't blame the hammer, you blame the builder, you know? That's a good analogy. That is a good analogy. Okay, <laughs> come up with that nice. <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> we are talking about R&D a little bit earlier. Yeah. Is there a standout moment from your time in R&D? Or? Um, yeah. So a week before the project due date, I busted the switch. No. By um, reversing the polarity. So, uh. like, obviously you don't do that. So <laughs> just don't you do just that. don't do that. So like the switch fried and oh. like you see it sizzle and this is a week before the thing was due. So luckily we had like a spare switch, but you had to like wire everything up again. And, to, and yeah, I it's spent, still stressful. Yeah. And this was like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. And so like, cool, let's test this. And then next week we'll just do all the testing before we ship it out. Oh, and yeah. Three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. It's broken oh, so i would have had a breakdown i think <laughs> i just i did the whole like roll back in your wheelie chair yeah and, like yeah. just look at it and <sighs> my boss was like go for a walk <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and i went for a walk i came back and i'm like cool i'm staying here and then got it in like Pull five through. hours and the thing is like the switch was one of the first things i've like soldered like properly and it looks like 
garbage. <laughs> like it was so poorly done. And then when I looked at that like new switch that I made, it was amazing. Like it looked like professionally done. So it also shows like that like learning curve. The fact that something that took me so long the first time I did it, it took me like super easy the next time. That's cool. Yeah. So that is my bad but also good experience with R and D. What's your ultimate goal in your research? What would be the thing that Actually, we'll go two different ways. First yeah. of all, if you could program AI to do something, if you could achieve, what's your like dream goal to be able to create something? I would like to create something that had its own artificial memory. Whoa. So like to create, so imagine you're creating like a child robot. Build a, a robot. That's like an infant. Yeah, that like in its learns, infancy. like in its infancy, yes. that like learns throughout its life kind of thing. And then like continuously like gains its own like memory. So Rather than starting at a high level. Yeah. And like having to like learn all this stuff like from scratch to so have something gradually like start learning about different things. And then like you're learning how to like use its actuators, which is like it's, you know, Create a, I want to like create like a yeah a robot a, a robot like that the little mega blocks one I made like you know like Aww. a big version of that that like just learns as it develops which is obviously what machine learning is anyway but yeah artificial memory which is don't know how possible that is but I'd love to do something like that it's great to be able to dream it because yeah. then maybe one day you can do it and I guess along that same kind of pathway. What are your goals for your career? Where do you quite young? You just just started your PhD. What do you What are you hoping to do? This is the most stressful question you've asked me all day. Ah, <laughs> it's okay um, if you don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like um, I've always just like wanted to go in. I don't know if I want to like own my own company. That sounds a bit stressful. Um, it would be really cool, but. I've just always wanted to just build stuff. And if I get into a position, maybe where I can go into another, like, R&D, or, like, you know, working at, like, Google, working at, like, Apple, maybe not Apple, like, Microsoft. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Working at Google, like, just that, like, space of, like, just, like, building stuff. And, yeah, that's that's all I want to do. It sounds like you've got the brain for inventing and dreaming and then trying to make it. Like, it does take a certain kind of way of thinking so yeah. i suppose if you've got it and you're willing to work hard there's no reason why you couldn't achieve those things yeah exactly like i just want to invent stuff and like just create things because i don't know i don't like seeing it as because oh, you said like you do science and you do arts like i like it when science and art like meet and like merge and that's like what i feel like innovation is like you have to have like some kind of creativity to invent something because it obviously doesn't exist so yeah like I just think it's super cool and that's why I just want to keep inventing and using my creative brain before it shrivels up. That's yeah. it's so interesting that you've said that about creativity and science because almost everyone we've interviewed keeps saying something similar that they like that science embraces creativity. Yeah. So it I don't know, it makes me excited to that's a theme a lot of scientists feel that it's not necessarily that arts or creativity and science are isolated, they do work together. Yeah, uh, it's like 100%. It's just, you know, we can't advance as a civilization if we don't keep coming up with new things, and that takes a form of creativity. So, I don't know, the more scientists that believe in the fact or the theme that we need to have creativity and science work together, I just feel like the further that will go. 
if you can hear some paper rustling, it's because Jordan's actually brought in notes. I told him to bring a fun fact and he's come so well prepared. So I'm really excited. What is your fun fact? I've got four. Four? But I will... You know what? I'm so glad I got this one because we've been talking about creativity and robots that can do the arts. So hear this. So... This is an article I took from somewhere that I can't remember now. Um, Prior to the first nuclear bomb detonation in July of 1945, hold on, it's getting somewhere, isotopes such as strontium-90 and cesium-137 simply did not exist in nature. They were created by the massive neutron bombardments that occurred during a thermonuclear explosion. Since these isotopes didn't exist in nature prior to 1945, Paintings created to prior to 1945 could not contain them originally. Whoa. So when you try and find a painting and see if it's fake or not, you can use a you can use a like gargometer or whatever to see if, if it has that stuff. If it has strontium or cesium in it and if it does, you know that it's been created after 1945. That is a very fun fact. So then you know it's fake. How cool is that? That is so cool. Yeah. Jonathan's read us another one because uh, he had so many. <laughs> um, uh, besides global warming, the next big thing that will change Antarctica's ecosystem is penguin poop. <gasps> For the last 5,000 years, penguins have provided the rocks in Antarctica with 16 million pounds of nutrient-rich poo, which can one day support plants and animals that can't currently survive in Antarctica. I think I knew that. I think I knew that one deep down somewhere. I did conservation biology and I think it came up at some point. It is really important for the ecosystem because there's there's less life in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. So things like penguin poo is going to be really important. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much for those fun facts. And thank you for joining us, Jordan. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Like I said, I've always wanted to do something like this and I'm glad you guys gave me the opportunity to do it for the first time. More than happy to. Thank you for listening to the Particle Podcast. You can find more of our content on all of the socials as well as at particle.scitech.org.au. Particle is powered by SciTech and this episode, as always, was recorded in the beautiful science hub that is Western Australia. Mm-hmm.